1: Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WABA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio 105.1 FM, WABA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry for WABA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Well, folks, guess what? I bet you we've all seen them. Maybe we've been on them. The countless miracle diets, right? The this cleanse, the that decock. Detox. Cayenne pepper lemonade? Really? Weight loss is a $71 billion per year industry, and that's actually down a bit since the pandemic began. In a world controlled by social media, we know this, image is everything. Friends, you and I, and the guy you bumped into taking the selfie the other day, we are all made in God's image. Listen to First Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Well, our guest today is here to talk about her own journey and really offer hope to all of you and others who are listening. And you know the drill. Hey, to get us going, to get us started, um, my good friend, introduce our guest for the day, my good friend, my buddy, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor Christian Fellowship Church. Dude! I'm glad we are made in the image of God, and we have beautiful faces for radio. Amen?
2: For radio. That is exactly right. Um, You know, as we're going to talk about what we're talking about today, we understand Mm -hmm. that there are many things that are out there in this world that I would like to call neutral. They're not good, Mm -hmm. or they're not bad. They're a tool, Mm -hmm. but placed in the wrong hands, used in the wrong way, can often be destructive placed in the right hands, used in the right way, can often be constructive. Amen. And certainly when we talk about wanting to be healthier, maybe we look at uh, our waistline or something else and say, hey, I could, I could probably you know, lose a couple pounds to keep myself from maybe being pre-diabetic or much other things. There's some constructive things. We also know, Dennis, and you know, I um, have uh, two younger kids, uh, one of them who found themselves in the teenage years, and right now I'm currently blessed that my child wants zero to do with social media. And one of the reasons yeah. I call that a blessing is not because social media itself is bad, it is just a tool, sure. but a lot of what happens in social media is around imaging, as you mentioned, a lot of what happens around perspective and viewing of people. You gotta put a filter on this to make you look a particular way or this or, or all of that. And, and it can over time, quickly over time or over a long period of time, Begin to feed lies into the lives of people. And by the way, that doesn't apply just to teenagers. That applies to people who are that age and people who are all the way up near my age and your age, Dennis, uh, feeding into that lie. And so our guest today wants to talk some truth. And so I'm excited about that. Having Christy Dondero-Betwee in studio with us. She serves as the executive director for Rock Recovery. It is a nonprofit that helps people overcome disordered eating. And they do this by combining clinical and community care. Uh, Having gone through uh, Recover Yourself, she understands not just from an intellectual standpoint, but from an experiential standpoint, the depth of emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual support that is needed to walk in freedom over this particular issue. She's passionate about spreading the message that complete freedom from disordered eating is possible. She's an active speaker and shares her story with organizations and media outlets across the country. Christy lives in Washington, D.C., and she lives with her husband, Ryan. And as we set off studio, um, her husband is a pastor. So we pray for her because, Dennis, you and I are pastors, and we know that people who choose to marry pastors need all the prayer they can get. So uh, that's a little side note, (laughs) note, Christy, but thanks uh, for being here. Um, You know, You are part of what we said earlier on off air that you were the the first employee um, for Mm -hmm. Rock Recovery where you work. You are currently the executive director there. Um, And you yourself, though, are are part of that organization, not just because you want to help others, but you yourself found freedom and faith uh, from separating Mm -hmm. yourself from having disordered way of looking at eating. Would you tell your story a little bit?
3: Sure. So, yeah, I always say, even though I work at Rock Recovery now and I work with these amazing clinicians with all these fancy letters behind their names, I don't have the fancy letters. I'm not an LPC. I'm not a therapist. I'm a psychologist. But I do get some street street cred because I am have my own story of recovery. So that's always an interesting thing. And everyone's journey is different. But my story... I think has a lot of similarities to people's as well, where I was a ballerina growing up in high school, got really serious about it at an early age. And I sort of noticed, oh, the thinner girls and women got these parts. And there seemed to be this preference for a certain body type. Also coupled with noticing my peers, noticing, well, the boys seem to like the girls that look a certain way and kind of realizing, oh, if I lose weight, I get compliments. If I gain weights, there's crickets, there's silence, and no one says anything. And so as a words of affirmation, love, language person, I kind of internalized all these things at a pretty early age and mm-hmm. started to realize, okay, well, my body needs to look a certain way be a certain way for me to be worthy and for me to be lovable and for me to be accepted. So I will just stop eating these things, start eating that thing, work out and kind of change my behavior. So this really, the pattern really started early on in high school. And then as I went into college, struggled even more deeply. I I went out of state from Texas to North Carolina for school and didn't know anybody, didn't really have coping skills, didn't have community or connections in my world, kind of unraveled pretty quickly. And I went through a huge season of change. So my eating disorder really started to ramp up in college. And then even again, sort of after college, when I graduated, a friend of mine passed away from cancer at the age of 22, Mm -hmm. and life just got Mm -hmm. so real. So I struggled for about 10 years. And I didn't even realize that I was struggling because our world can be so disordered. I think people often don't realize someone's having a a struggle with something or an issue with something. A lot of my friends hated their bodies, talked about it all the time, only ate peas for dinner, did this weird diet thing to your point earlier, Dennis. And so I kind of thought, Oh, this is normal. This is what it means to be a a human or a woman. You Mm -hmm. just hate your body. It
2: was interesting that as I was listening to you tell, uh, you know, part of your story and thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness to do that, because as our listeners Listen, there's a lot of times we know we're hearing truth, but it's even more powerful when we're knowing and hearing someone who's lived from that truth. But as I was listening to you tell your story, a lot of what you were talking about was passive influence, not necessarily active Mm -hmm. influence. You know, no one necessarily, and I'm sure we've all had it, you know, came and said, you're going to get this part if you do this versus these are things that we watch that happen. They become normalized. That's not the case, certainly with everyone, but certainly it's part Mm -hmm. of your story that you were sharing And so it it begins to feed some things in our minds, in our beliefs that are lies. However, scripture gives us some different wisdom than what culture might passively or in some case actively try to tell us about what it means to to talk about our in care for our bodies. In fact, Dennis mentioned this earlier on. He calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit because the very Mm -hmm. spirit for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ of the Holy Spirit lives in us.
3: Well, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of 1 Corinthians is really full of some really wonderful wisdom about eating and drinking and bodies and all of the things. And so one of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 1031. Um, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because I would say too, with eating disorders, with disordered eating, with whatever someone's struggling with, it's often a heart issue more than it is exactly what you're eating. There's tons of advice about Low carb, low fat, low this, low that. It's not the answer. The answer Mm -hmm. is what's happening in our hearts and what's going on with maybe idolatry Mm -hmm. or other pieces. So that verse really, really means a lot.
2: And so I don't hear you saying, for example, that a prescribed diet is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, there are cases certainly where a prescribed diet can actually be life saving. You know, I mentioned. Uh, pre-diabetes earlier on, you know, I I have a father who is type two diabetic and he better be on a prescribed diet or there's going to be challenges in that way. But Mm -hmm. let's talk about uh, what a term you might use called diet culture. Mm -hmm. What makes diet culture not healthy and in fact, destructive?
3: Sure. So there certainly are times and places to eat certain ways. I think the problem is diet culture does come in and tell us, oh, this diet will save you. This is the thing that will make you superior, that will make you good, that will make you right. And I think as humans, well, i Personally, love to be right. Unfortunately, <laughs> none
2: of us on this radio show feel that way at all. Hey, that's, that's man, just you. Can I get that's, a witness? So yeah, know That we, <laughs> we like to be right.
3: There's something I think we. I think it's comforting. Life is hard. Things are out of control. Food is one of the only things in life that we can control. So there's really a lot of comfort to being like, I'm doing this right. I'm doing this right, and that what can get a lot of people in trouble. Where what starts as a desire to be healthy kind of snowballs into an obsession or extreme extreme dieting, extreme cutting things out. So diet culture to me is harmful because it keeps us from listening to our bodies as God created them. We really Mm -hmm. are given a set weight. You know, you're, you're given a shoe size, you're given a height. We're also given a set weight and not everyone's weight is going to be the same. And diet culture tells us then bodies are the better bodies, which Mm -hmm. is just not true with God's creation. And it's definitely a cultural view and lens. It's not a true biblical lens that is supported by scripture.
2: Yeah, diet culture is
3: harmful because it lies to us about what makes our bodies worthy and tells mm. us we need to do a certain thing or we should be afraid and or that we're not safe.
2: I love the mm-hmm. term you just yeah. use when you talk about a lens. You know, it's it's something that goes in front of our eyes that that can do one of two things. If you have the wrong lens on, it actually makes your vision worse. If You have the right lens on, mm-hmm. then we know it's corrective. And so there are some corrective lenses, so to speak, that men and women can do to have, you know, and develop a positive body image or a positive self image. What are some of those?
3: Sure. So I think remembering that our bodies were created, you know, we were made in God's image. We were Mm -hmm. fearfully and wonderfully made going back to scripture and the Psalms and I, I think we skip past that. You read it, you say it to your kids. You kind of, you know, put it on a magnet, maybe on your refrigerator or something. But you don't often really believe it. And so, mm-hmm. remembering that our bodies really were created, I, I know for me, when I went through recovery and started to really find freedom from my own eating disorder, my body changed. I gained weight. My shape changed, and I really struggled to accept what was happening to my body. But then I realized, whoa, if I'm fighting my body, I'm actually fighting my creator because this Mm. is how God made me. And when I'm taking care of my body and eating well and moving well and doing all the things, this is the size and shape I am. And so if I'm trying to fight this, like it's a fight, I can't win. Don't want to wrestle that one, you know? So I, I think there is something to really coming to terms with the bodies we've been given. And how they've been created and stewarding them well. And then remembering that we are so much more than our external appearance. You know, the whole beauty of skin deep thing is such a such a, a, a trite thing to say, but it's true. I mean, God cares mm-hmm. about the heart. We hear that over and over again in scripture that God looks at the heart and man looks at the external appearance. And so we want to remember to look at the heart. Hey,
1: Brian, really let fun. me jump in just a second, brother. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Kristen, can I um, you talked about and I think I've heard it somewhere before, but I just want to jump back for a second. Because I don't understand it. Um, so maybe some listeners don't. Um, but you talked about a set weight. We all have a set weight. Um, mm. Like, what is that,
3: man? Yeah, of course. You're right. Gosh, you get so indoctrinated in your own language. You forget what you're saying sometimes, don't you? So the idea of the set point or set weight theory is that your body is meant to be within about a 10 pound range when you're eating well and taking care of your body in a moderate way. So some people's weights might be uh, and some people might think their their desirable weight is less than their actual set point weight. And that's where chronic dieting gets people into trouble.
2: Okay. So it's the idea that our
3: bodies really have a range that they will settle into okay. when we're when we're treating them well. Okay.
2: Thank you. Actually, I wondered yeah, about helpful. that as well. Yeah. I, won't, I won't even get into the BMI indicator and what that means. That's probably for another occasion. But sure. uh, I well, think BMI, there's a lot of people I will
3: say spoiler alert, we are not big believers in BMI because it doesn't take into account a lot of the unique things about people's bodies. So well, just I'm, I'm
2: glad that you brought that up. Because I yeah. mean, in, in lots of cases, you do see people who look against a chart and look at that sort of stuff. And they say, I need to fit in this prepackaged way. And, and you made such a wonderful point, about, you know, if we can understand how God made us, um, when we're fighting against that truth, why we would never necessarily say it it verbally, what we're doing with our actions is saying God doesn't know what he's doing. You know, the creator of the universe didn't know what he was doing. Um, And I know there's times where we all know something intellectually, but it's harder to believe. And I think this could be one of those moments where You know, we can say something. We know God knows what he's doing. But when we're looking in a mirror and we're buying some lies or we're looking, feeling our clothes or whatever it might be. So, you know, many times when you reach people and when they come to you at Rock Recovery, Mm -hmm. um, they have gone beyond uh, something that might be considered to be a little out of order to very much disordered. What makes rock recovery unique, say from other treatment facilities?
3: Sure. And I love that perspective. So we talk about disordered eating a lot because it does mm-hmm. sort of capture a, a wider range of things. And disordered eating can be going on a diet. It can it can capture a lot of different pieces. And really anything we're doing while we're not listening to our bodies and treating them well can become disordered. But as far as what makes rock unique, we do serve people really coming from any type of eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. So, you know, restriction, binging, purging, anything really in between. Mm -hmm. And what makes us unique is that we uniquely treat the whole person. So we are a faith-based organization. Our doors are open to all. We do not discriminate with our clients, but we do take into consideration that we are created in God's image and that we really do think about the clinical and the evidence-based care coming from fancy people with the fancy letters behind their names, therapists, psychologists, all the rest. And we think about what God says and what's really capital T truth. So we also offer all of our programs. We do clinical programs and faith support programs all on sliding scale. So that cost is never a barrier for people because insurance coverage is very lacking for mental health conditions, unfortunately. And there are a lot of people falling through the cracks that just can't get the help that they need. And that's what brought me to work at Rock Recovery. I have lovely parents who are very supportive during my recovery process and really paid for my treatment. And once I got better, I realized, well, what are these lovely people doing who don't have parents that can help support their treatment costs? Like, what's happening to them and they're falling to the cracks is what's happening
2: to them. Yeah, and right now people are listening and probably, "Oh, I need to look this up." So don't even need to Google. I can tell you what their web address is. You can go to www.rockrecoveryed. That's rockrecoveryed.org, and certainly when you go there, you can hear more about what Christy has been saying as well as virtual programs, events, and other things that that might be coming up with both people who are struggling and people who have loved ones and And you said something interesting that I just want to go back to a couple minutes ago when you talked about being amongst a culture of people when you were in college where it it did. You didn't see what was going on because it seemed so normalized. Mm -hmm. And so for some, there may be this this moment where it's happening right before them, but because it seems normalized or whatever, maybe they're not catching it. They're not seeing the warning signs. So help us maybe. Uh, to see some warning signs that a person ourselves or someone that we know and care about might be developing an unhealthy relationship with food uh, or not just unhealthy, completely disordered in what would be considered a full-blown eating disorder.
3: Sure. And one thing I always like to say is that people of all sizes and shapes do develop eating disorders. So you can't mm-hmm. tell from looking at someone if they're sick. Of course, there are some cases when someone might be emaciated, that you can tell that they're probably not doing well, but I had a somewhat normal quote unquote rate, weight range the entire time I struggled with my eating disorder. So people couldn't necessarily tell that I was struggling, that weight was too low for my natural body, but you couldn't tell that necessarily from looking at me right. So it's hard to always catch the symptoms. Some things you can look for are weight changes though. If someone suddenly does massively go through a weight shift, that could be an indicator. There are different behavioral patterns. One of the biggest things is isolation. When people break out, break from, and of course with COVID, you know, we had a 400% increase in people reaching out to us once COVID hit because the isolation is such a huge factor for any kind of mental health struggle. But when people kind of isolate, when you eat alone, eat differently, um, mood shifts, sort of personality shifts, Mm -hmm. getting sick a lot, or kind of having injuries. There's just, there's certain things you can look for, but a lot of it is sort of interpersonal, which can be easier to to miss. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, one of the things often that's said is that to an, an obstacle for us making progress in anything in life is fear. Mm. Um, and, uh, it's this idea that we don't necessarily like where we are, but there's a great fear of having to do the work or whatever it may take to get to where we think we need to be. So we become very comfortable, even if we understand something is off with our disorder. Um, and so if there's someone who's listening right now, uh, maybe they just caught us on the radio or maybe you know, they heard it on podcast or someone handed a podcast who in their head, like knows this is not how it should be. And, and they know they need some sort of help, but for whatever reason, they find themselves afraid. Talking about what a first step might be towards recovery.
3: Yeah. And it's so normal to feel afraid. You know, I talk a lot about an eating disorder. While people don't mean to develop eating disorders, they often come because based on genetics and environment and a lot of different factors they help us get through hard things. Life is hard. We can't control a lot and food really is the one thing we can control. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can be scary to give up that security blanket. I talk about how it kind of becomes like a binky, like your eating disorder almost becomes this thing that makes you feel safe. And it's very scary to give it up. So taking that next step, it's one step at a time. It's one baby step at a time. It's really day by day. And in my own recovery journey, when I started working with an outpatient team and a therapist, you know, she'd always tell me, you know, have grace for yourself in the process, just do the next step. Like, let's be fair, you're doing your best. And I was like, no, it's not good enough. It needs to be perfect. What's wrong with you? Don't you understand? And it, recovery just happens one day at a time, one step at a time. So the biggest thing that someone can do is just break isolation and tell someone that you love that you're struggling and ask them to help. And from there, you know, so much more can unfold, but just it is one, one baby step at a time. And it, it adds up over time.
2: And thank you for breaking that down. I think when we often look at problems, certainly when we talk about something like having disordered eating, it's overwhelming when we think about it. And you know, there are cliches out there about like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, but that still doesn't matter. That's cliche. When you're dealing with the hurt and the, the dysfunction, whether we recognize it or not in our own lives and whatever's whatever is, you know, pushing that to show up, you know, in disordered eating or whatever it may be, and as you mentioned not understanding that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, not understanding that we are the temple of the Holy spirit and all of those kind of not understanding that leads to some of that. Now you mentioned earlier, you don't turn anyone away. you got a sliding scale, uh, you know, and not everyone has had the, uh, um, uh, the privilege, I guess to use the term for, have parents in their lives that would invest in that way in our healing. Um, where do your funds come from then if you are going to help people and underwrite, because the cost is the cost in reality to do this, But that doesn't mean you always pass that cost along to people who need help.
3: That's exactly right. So the more I do this work, the more I'm like, oh, now I know why no one else does it. This is hard work and it's expensive to provide good care. And so generous individual people are the ones that really supplement the cost for our clients that provide scholarships. So we have a lot of monthly donors, ongoing donors and different individual supporters. We have church partners who help Mm -hmm. supplement the cost. And I know from a lot of our clients who have maybe had some some different experiences with the church or have some spiritual abuse in their past or have some different pain points, they've found it so healing that like, whoa, the church is investing in mental health and in my mm-hmm. healing. Like this is super cool. So yeah. churches, businesses, and really just generous, lovely people who are passionate about helping people find freedom from, from this this disorder.
2: Yeah. Now certainly, you know, we encourage you if you want to give, be involved, you can go to rockrecoveryed.org, as I mentioned earlier on the website to find out more information, a multiplicity of things. Uh, is there anything coming up really soon? Maybe they don't even have to go to to highlight for people who are listening yeah. right now.
3: We actually, so the what I went through when I recovered is a six-week course called New ID. I actually met a cute boy at a bar who asked me to go to church and that's how I became a Christian and how I recovered. So now I'm married to a pastor, you never know what's gonna happen, you know. Um but this program is a great program because it's a great first step for someone who's struggling. It's called New ID. It's a six-week course, it's got testimonials from people who are recovered teaching, discussion group, time and prayer. And we've run this course now for over 10 years at Rock. And we're now doing it virtually, thanks to COVID. We can reach people anywhere. So that one starts, I believe it's Wednesday, May 26th. And I'll be leading that group. And that's something coming up that friends and family are welcome to come to, to learn how to support their loved ones or people who might be struggling themselves. It's a great Mm -hmm. first step. It really goes through all the pieces that help lay the foundation for freedom and recovery from both a clinical and a, a faith
2: perspective. And if you find yourself listening to this after that date on be a podcast or whatever may be, the good news is you can go back to the website and there'll be offering that course and many other ways uh, to help you as you begin, as we all understand and begin this journey in one place or another that we are fearfully wonderful made. And then God made us uniquely and he made us with a purpose and we carry the Holy Spirit with us. Christy, thanks for being a part of the show today. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing your heart, but also Thank you for sharing the good news that there's hope in the midst of all this.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy.
1: Amen, Christy. Thank you. God bless you, man, for being here, folks. Hey, you heard it. If you want to find out more about this and talk to Christy, rockrecoveryed.org. That's rockrecoveryed.org. Or if you want to listen to this again, which I would urge you to do, by the way, go to goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. But especially, you know, this new ID, that's, that's very cool, by the way, Christy. Thank you. Um, coming up on May 26th, and as Brian said, if you're hearing this past that point, um, you can always go to rockrecoveryed.org. Folks, thank you for joining us today. Hey, we'll see you again next week. And always remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.
0: It's the gospel, the
1: gospel that makes a way.
0: Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, DC metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.